and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Fundamism Podcast. I'm your host, Paul J. Long, coming to you all the way from the quarantine studio again, my office, a.k.a. the home. Uh, You know, we're all struggling right now. We're all looking for ways to challenge ourselves to get out of our head and be a little more present and grateful for the things going on in our life. And one of the things that I'm super grateful for are the relationships that I've been blessed to, uh, to be a part of throughout the years, one of which is Charlie Hustle. Charlie Hustle is our sponsor, of course. They've been with us from the jump. Uh, if you don't know anything about Charlie Hustle, please go to charliehustle.com. Uh, another important relationship to me is one that I have with Scott and Deb Wilson and the Wilson family, uh, parents of Noah Wilson. Today, this will air a couple of weeks from today, but today, as we're filming this, is actually the five-year anniversary of young Noah Wilson's passing. Uh, so if you don't know, pediatric cancer only receives 4% of federal funding each and every single year. And it is my goal, my duty to spread awareness for all of those that need a little help in their voice. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce uh, a lady that means a lot to me, unbeknownst to her, because uh, we actually collected in my uh, consulting years when I was uh, young and inexperienced and probably trying to navigate my own uh, crazy personality. Um, I knew her as Kimberly Gunter, but now her name is Kimberly Firewalker. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, Kimberly Firewalker. What's good? Hey, Paul. It's so, I'm so delighted that we're doing this. This is um, a long time coming, but as we said, um, before you hit record, divine timing is everything. So I'm thrilled that we're here, right here, right now. Even even in these quarantine weirdo times. <laughs> well, I got to tell you, uh, your studio, your office looks pretty. It's making me rethink my uh, my setup here. It, it looks really clean. Your lighting is on point. You put some time and effort into that, didn't you? I mean, I want to say yes. It's <laughs> <or> yes. <laughs> Before we go too down, uh, too far down the path, because you did mention this has been a long time coming, and I want to talk about that journey for both of us. First question that we start every single guest with is, "What do you do for fun?" Yeah, dude, this is like the hardest question. I'm so glad that I'm talking to the king of fun. (laughs) Maybe you can coach me on what I do for fun. Like, I all right. So, what do I do for fun? I do love to read. Okay. Um, that makes that's like uh, nerdy fun, but books are my obsession. It used to be shoes when I was in corporate America, and now it's books. Um, I also do like to. Okay, I'm all right. We're gonna move fun into vulnerability too. Yes. <laughs> do it all. I've started to take belly dancing. What? I know. How do you, I ask you, what do you do for fun? And you just casually slip in belly dancing. Like that's something that everybody does. I mean, it's, I, if I'm honest, I wanted to do it for years, but I don't know all the, all the things that we were afraid of, like, Oh, that's weird. Or, Oh, what if I can't? And then, um, I just got over all of that. And so, and I have a friend who is, in her seventies and she belly dances. And I was like, well, now listen, if she can do this and she's so amazing, like she's radiant and funny and full of life. And I thought I want that when I'm 70. And so I started belly dancing with her and her 70 year old cohort of friends. And I'm like, I love it. 
You know, uh, what I appreciate about that story is uh, this gentleman randomly followed me on Twitter last night, and he is a uh, avid lover of crossword puzzles. And he's a hmm. Southwest airline pilot, um, which I'm sure you could appreciate, unless you're far more fancy than me uh, in your travels. <laughs> no, I'm not. But uh, one of the top quotes, and I know that you're big on the universe and things happening as and when they should. This gentleman, one of his, his top tweets was George Bernard Shaw. And it was, um, uh, we don't grow old uh, or we don't stop playing because we grow old. We grow old because we stop playing. And so for you to reference this 70-year-old lady uh, as, as an instigator of fun in your life, that's pretty amazing. So tell me about your dancing prowess before that. Were you a, a dancer outside of belly dancing? Did you like to dabble? Now listen, <laughs> it's about things that I am allegedly supposed to be good at because of who I am and how I look. But my family totally makes fun of me because I have like one move and that's it. And everyone, everyone in my family can dance. It's my husband, both of our daughters, our kids. I am like, I'm the one. I'm like, you know what? We live in a universe of polarity. And so therefore, all of you can dance and I'm holding up the other end. It has to be that way. So no, no. <laughs> I respect you so damn much. You said... Uh, because of who I am and how I look, I assume that's a black reference. Uh, I'm guessing. I people, you know, I know we're going to that too, so we're just going to get to all of it. Yeah, but people be like, you should be able to dance. I'm like, listen, I have a rhythm, but I don't really dance. Like I didn't grow up in an environment where where we were doing that. You know, like I grew up in a mostly Caucasian environment, so I wasn't learning how to do like the Running Man and all. That. I just wasn't. I wasn't doing that. I, I missed out on this whole fundamental piece of my adolescence. And so now I'm almost 50. And so now it's like a girl's got to like catch up. And so I'm belly dancing. Well, you know, yeah. <laughs> this says a lot about you that you identified uh, moments in your existence where you thought, perceived, uh, something was lacking. And as you've grown uh, forward in your life, you have uh, been magnetized to uh, close said opportunity gaps. And here we are. Uh, as a coach, I think that really resonates with you. Uh, and we're going to talk a lot more about this. So Kimberly, uh, first of all, your past is amazing to me because a lot of people don't know this, but prior to my speaking career and all these stupid dance videos that I put out every single morning, with my, which mind you, are not good. Uh, but it ain't about being good. It's about having fun. Uh, so good. I've seen you. You're in Kansas city, right? Yeah. Oh, we're going to, we're going to have to get out on this dance floor sometime. We're going to have to get the, the, the spouses together and go out and cut up. No, I'll do that. I mean, I'm not afraid of just looking silly. I don't care about that, but. <laughs> well, speaking of looking silly. So my, cor my corporate career uh, runs somewhat parallel to yours, uh, only you made it far further than I did. So uh, I started in a call center, uh, you know, creeping on a come up, started as an underwriter, first person to answer the call, customer service, all that stuff, training manager, trainer. Uh, it culminated as a director of call center operations. So when I, uh, when I, I sunsetted that career because uh, I was over the, the whole 
corporate walk and uh, all the red tape, I got into consulting. And our first client uh, that, that I got the opportunity or I was blessed to work with under the umbrella of another firm was AT&T. And uh, one of the first senior level execs that I had the opportunity to cross paths with uh, was at the time Miss Kimberly Gunter. So uh, now Kimberly Firewalker. So let's talk about your, your journey in uh, both AT&T and your corporate career. How did, how did it get there? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, my father worked for the company when it was South Horster Bell. So I'm what I refer to as a Bell brat, meaning that um, it's kind of like being an army brat when you work for South Horston Bell, now AT&T, you travel all around and, you know, they put you in these obscure places, you know, to, um, the cool thing about AT&T is like, you can have a career. I had a 21 year career and I had 13 different jobs. It's crazy. Um, so it's, it's difficult to get bored there. I mean, you have to really want to get bored working at a company like that. Um, and so I, you know, when I graduated from college, I ended up at AT&T after three years of working a nonprofit. And I thought, well, I'll just work here for a couple of years. Then I'll go back and run a nonprofit. 21 years later, I now have my own company. <laughs> um, and the steps in between, <laughs> you know, I used to laughingly say every pair of shoes I ever owned, you know, came as a result of um, AT&T because my dad you know, worked there and then I worked there. Um, it was a great career in a lot of ways, a lot of ways. Um, I learned a lot about myself as a leader, as a woman, um, as a, you know, like, what do I really value? What do I really care about? What do I really stand for? And some of that comes, as you know, some of those lessons come kind of effortlessly and some comes by the pathway of struggle. For sure. So... I'm not saying every day of that career was, you know, rainbows and unicorns because it was not. Um, no. um, <laughs> I need more of you in my life. <laughs> yeah. um, but, well, you know, like the part that you were talking about, especially working with my teams, running large operational teams, because at the height of my career, my largest team, Paul, was like almost 12,000 employees Jeez. international. Um, and my last role with the company had left the call centers and was working on the business side of the house and had a portfolio valued at about $15 billion. So you don't spend time in that kind of environment and not learn a lot about how to um, lead people well, how to advocate for people, how to advocate for yourself. Um, and, and honestly, for me, have your authenticity and your divinity tested. That's where I really learned that um, I have a right to believe what I desire to believe. I have a right to advocate for what I think is important. I have a right, not only a right, but a responsibility for, you know, like what is really in my highest good. AT&T challenged me on every level, mind, body, spirit, to really ask and answer those questions. Um, and it's led me to, you know, I went from Kimberly Gunter to Kimberly A. Firewalker because maybe because it was a little bit of trial by fire, quite frankly. For sure. And the coolest name of all time. 
So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you're tired of, tired of your hubby's probably like, oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so a couple of things that you said that really resonate with me. Um, when you mentioned having your authenticity challenged and, you know, in the, in the, the corporate, um, the corporate grind, if you will, where everybody's trying to make a name for themselves and differentiate themselves. And I say everybody, obviously, I don't mean to paint with a, with a broad brush, but, but everybody's trying to express value, right? Everybody's trying to, to be of worth to the organization in hopes of potentially getting something in return. Because nobody just works to work, right? You're working for money, you're working for appreciation, you're working for the opportunity to be promoted, whatever you're working for. And so along that that journey, there's a lot of times where your authenticity really is challenged and you have to ask those difficult those difficult questions. And I think that's one of the things that has resonated with me uh, over time in following your journey. Um, again, probably you don't even know that I do so, but on LinkedIn and, and in talking with others, because uh, you are and always have been very proud to be yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's something that historically I felt when I was in corporate America um, wasn't at least, this is just my perception. Uh, and of course, our perception is our reality. I felt like my authentic self wasn't always warmly received. And it was validated when people would tell me like, you know, be cautious in this environment. That seems immature or be cautious incorporating fun and all that you do that could equate to a lack of productivity. And it always made me question like leadership and question core values of, of the big organizations because I'm like, everybody's trying to reduce attrition. Everybody's trying to improve employee engagement. In my mind, creating an environment where you could appreciate yourself and be authentic would be something that organizations want to do. So this is a very long setup to the question, how did you, in senior leadership, ensure that, that that authenticity piece that you pride yourself in filtered down through the organization? And how did you inspire folks to be the same? Yeah, wow, what a beautiful question. Um, and it's a question that I, my team and I considered almost daily. Mm-hmm. I think that's the first answer to the question is um, we were very, very mindful of operating in a way that felt right for us. Like I was very fond of saying, we were in a sales environment, as you know, and, you know, you know, in that kind of environment, people sort of eat what they kill. Um, But, you know, one of the questions I would ask my team every single morning because we would have a daily check-in call, was do you feel proud of the way you're operating? Which is a different setup from what did you sell? I know you're going to sell, that's your job. And I know that you want to do your job well. Um, but I wanted us to always operate in a way that at the end of the day made us feel proud of who we were and how we showed up as leaders. So that was, that was always, a, you know, kind of a top of mind question. And then the other thing, honestly, I think is um, you have to be the embodiment of the thing that you're, you're preaching, mm. you know, <laughs> um, I th- for me, and listen, it wasn't like I came into the company and, I was suddenly embodied. It took me some time. This is a path. So I tell people who work with me, um, 
This is not the easiest path, being on this fully divine, fully human, totally authentic, unapologetically yourself path um, is you have to choose it because it's not easy because like you talked about, you're going to be seemingly moving out of the norm. Now, what I'll say about that is it's actually the most normal, fundamental way of being is to be fully divine and fully human, to be fully authentic. That's how you come into this lifetime. And then we have all these human experiences and we collect all this kind of um, emotional, mental, spiritual debris that is like rubble. And then you have to sort of dig your way out of it. But because I had already started to dig my way out of it. And honestly, because I was very, I was famous for being particular about my teams. That's how I'm going to say that. Define particular. (laughs) You know, I mean, you have to accept who you are, right? So I, I do appreciate that. Um, You know, there were some people for sure who didn't always agree with the way I was leading my operation. Mm. Um, And I think as a leader, you have to have a bias for your own opinion. As long as you're operating from a place of integrity, more than you have a bias for other people's opinions. So we are addicted in our society and our culture to external approval. 100%. And, you know, that's kind of what had people guiding you erroneously, Paul, don't be so fun. I mean, if I said, hey, don't be so fun, does that, how does it even sound? (laughs) Uh, Don't be so authentic. Don't be so, don't be so powerful. Don't be so empowered. Don't be so honest. Don't be so integrity. Don't be so in your truth. If I say it that way, people think, well, that's, that makes no sense. Um, But so I'm going to give you an equally long question to your long setup. <laughs> and how we were able to do it, and I do mean we, because it is, when you're operating at that level, you're not doing it by yourself. And for me, I was doing it with my, you know, my team, my leadership team, and I was also doing it with my spiritual team. Mm. I report to a spiritual team. That's that's how I operate through this world and get anything and everything done. Um, and that allows me to be authentic because when you when I'm not seeking approval outside of myself or not seeking another human being, then I can, I can be more free. I can move towards sovereignty in my, which is my goal. Um, and which is the basis of all of my work with my clients. Um, and I, and I can guide people to do that because I spent 21 years walking that path inside of a really strenuous environment that's honestly designed to, in many ways, keep you from being authentic. Mm. And I say that lovingly. And I say that with gratitude. I love that setup for people. We need, we need corporations we need businesses to be operating in a certain way because that's how people wake up. For sure. And a couple of things that you said that I hope our listeners are taking away. So first of all, your question, do you feel proud of how you're operating? That is, that is such an awesome and introspective question as so many people in business right now 
are, again, trying to find their value, whatever it looks like, whether it's whether it's uh, it's captured by you know performance metrics and sales or customer experience or you know attrition, whatever it may be, whatever you're into in, in tracking your success, the biggest question is, do you feel proud of how you're operating? Because as you referenced, you didn't say this explicitly, but in that environment, especially in the sales environment that that you and I have grown to know and love and be comfortable in, listen. I could get the numbers to tell you whatever the hell I want you to see, right? I, I can go out and get them sales if you want me to. Um, but ultimately, am I proud of how I'm doing it? Because at the end of the day, I have to sit on that. And ultimately, you have to report back to your senior leadership team. So when uh, you know we get behind the scenes and we see how indeed we are getting those metrics, were you proud? Did you feel good about it? And I would say, man, we saw some shady stuff. Like, in I'm just talking about my whole corporate career. And it just sucks because at the end of the day, I am guided just like you in this, this spiritual awareness, right? And, and appreciating and accepting who I am and what I offer in this big old world of ours, right? Whatever you believe in, I believe that I'd be naive to think that we as humans are the biggest part of this world. I, I just myself know that not to be the case. And so leading myself uh, with the gifts that I was blessed with, right, and my authentic self can make me feel good when I'm laying down at the end of the night and I'm assessing uh, the day's worth. So again, for our listeners, do you feel good of how you're operating? I love that. Um, so tell me about Sometimes in your um, in your corporate uh, experience that challenged your authenticity. You had mentioned that you you had been challenged in your authentic self from time to time. And one thing that we haven't really broached that I would love to get into because right now it's uh, super relevant in our times um, that there's a lot of stigmas associated with being a female leader in corporate America. Compound that with being a woman of color uh, in corporate America, and you did the damn thing. You rise to the top. So uh, when you think about the challenges that you faced in that come up, what did that look like for you in your growth? Yeah. Ooh. Um, Deep, huh? You know, there's so many. It's like, how, where to start? I'll tell you the story. So first, I'll say this. Um, when I sunsetted my career, borrowing your term, um, about three years ago, I underestimated the amount of recovery time that was going to be needed to um, make the transformation and the transmutation from K-Gun, which is how I was affectionately known. I remember I mean, I that. nickname that had word gun. Gun? The hammer. Not feminine. Hey, <laughs> Not feminine. Um, and, you know, and I'm so proud of it. And, you know, and in some ways I still am. Like I can distill what's good about that and leave the rest. Um, but I think it's important because being a woman successfully in corporate America often, I won't say always, but often means I'll, for me, I'll speak very personally for me, Please. meant that I became a very masculinized female. Mm. And that cost me 
Um, because the, the system itself is patriarchal. We all know that. And it, to, to be successful, um, you really do have to leave some of your authenticity at the door when you first come in. I mean, no one says this is a rite of passage in the pastor's way. You have to leave your femininity, but you learn it pretty quickly. Um, it's like that story, Paul, of a frog. How do you boil a frog? You put it in water, you slowly warm the water up and the frog doesn't even know. Um, that's a little bit of how I would describe my experience. Hmm. And then one day <laughs> I looked up and I was like, what in the world? I am not a white male. I'm a black female. What is happening? And I had this shift moment where I realized that I was not operating out of total integrity. And by integrity, I mean all of the the essence of me, all of the parts of myself, my own values, my own beliefs, those things that all sort of come into question and I had failed to answer them along the path. And that was like one of my first awakening moments where I thought, well, this, this is, this is costing me. Um, I was married at the time I got divorced. That's a kind of a separate thing, but it's also how I was just showing up because how we do one thing is how we do everything. And so when you're showing up as kind of a masculinized female and you're in a relationship with a male, it, it doesn't, it really doesn't work. Right. That's where you're throwing all that money at them shoes, right? All those shoes, exactly. <laughs> all those, all those, all those coping mechanisms. All Kimberly, those coping mechanisms. I want to unpack this because this is fascinating to me. So, if you guys are listening intently, Kimberly is talking about her journey in corporate America as a black female and feeling as though. She got a little bit away from her genuine spirit or who she was. She, she literally had the epiphany moment. Wait, you're not a white male. You're a black female. For, to hear you say that out loud is absolutely crazy to me. And then, then to think about, because I've never heard this said out loud from anybody that I've chatted with, that you felt as though your femininity was challenged. And so you, you really went the opposite way and that, you prided yourself in being more masculine. I'm just paraphrasing, right? But embracing that that K gun uh, moniker that you acquired over time. Over time, this is amazing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Because for me, and you know, that wasn't like you have all these experiences, things from your childhood. All of it sort of follows you until you withdraw your consent from all of those experiences, but I hadn't done that at this, at the point where we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I, I showed up masculinized and listen, we all have masculine and feminine energy, but I was out of balance in that. And um, we need balance in those energies. Otherwise we really can't get things done in this lifetime. Um, and the design is perfect, but I had gotten way out of whack. Um, with my an unhealthy masculine energy. Um, you know, and I was, I was, I was a get stuff doneer for mm -hmm. sure. Um, 
And, uh, you know, the thing that saved me, I think, is I have a very creative mind and, um, and some, some playfulness, you know? Um, and so I was able to, you know, draw on that. And then of course I have my spirit team who's always championing for me and, you know, kind of recalibrating my path. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, um, it was challenging for a while and it was that moment that you're, we're talking about was both an awakening for me and um, a bit of a heartbreak Mm. because I was scared at first. If I'm not this, then who am I? And that goes back to the conversation you, you, we were having a little bit earlier of people, particularly in a corporate environment, we have a tendency, we're taught to assess our value or our worth based on our productivity. What I want people to know is there's really no correlation between those things. That's false. You were born worthy. <laughs> you were born worthy. You do not have to earn your worth. It's not even a thing. You can't be separated from it. You can forget it. And there are people like you in the world and people like me in the world. And our job is to help people remember their value and their worth. But there's no correlation between what you do for a living in your worthiness or your value. None. Kimberly, I am, I'm just enamored. Like we could talk for hours. Like you're giving me so many tidbits. If I'm not this, who am I? What, what an introspective question. And you had mentioned, you know, you and I are individuals on this earth that we challenge ourselves to uh, hopefully reveal the opportunity that others have to see their worth and embrace their worth and uh, find their worth. It's always there, uh, but expose it a little bit more. And so today, uh, my morning video was all about, I don't know if you remember Stuart Smalley from SNL, the yeah. daily affirmations, but um, <laughs> you know, sometimes your, your, self, your self-worth and specifically what you throw out, uh, your inner dialogue, it could really it can really help you navigate through your day. It can help or hinder, right? And so if you're consistently challenging yourself and your worth and you're questioning this masculine energy, or for me, it's interesting to hear you talk about your journey because I've always battled the feminine energy. I mean, like all my friends have always called me out. Like Kimberly, I am, I'm getting my eyebrows waxed. I'm getting pedicures. I take care of myself. Uh, I dance, I, I, I embrace life and all things fun. And I don't give a damn if you don't embrace that because it ain't about you. It's about me embracing myself. Now, I don't do that to the detriment of those around me because my goal is to create an environment where they're comfortable being themselves, but I'm not allowing external environments or forces to dictate the me that's showing up. And so when you go through this recovery time, uh, which is another awesome quote that you gave me uh, in your transition outside of corporate America into running your own business. Um, how long did it take you to find your bearings and really hit your stride as an entrepreneur? Yeah. Um, I'm laughing. I can see this image of like, uh, you know how like a boat, like a speedboat will be going and then it'll hit a wave and it'll yep. I, like That's how I started. So I came out of the gate just um, because I'm Kimberly, right? I was, I'm K-Gun and that's okay, what I do. <laughs> that's right. And so, 
Um, you know, when I first, and I'm going to use this term very specifically, when I first came out, I came out as a corporate coach because that's what I, I knew to do. And I love that work. And I love people. I love leadership and I love people in corporate America and business and entrepreneurs who are really, you know, making a difference in the world. And I want to see people, I, I want to use your term. What, what do you say? Some that coming out on the come up like that. I, want yeah. <laughs> I was actually referencing bone thugs and harmony from back in the day when they were oh, the come up. Okay. It's the first of the month. Okay. <laughs> <That's right>. um, <laughs> it actually is, isn't it? Almost. Tomorrow. tomorrow. Yes. Um, and so I, you know, I love that work. And so when I came out, I was like, oh, I'm a corporate coach. This is obvious. And what I discovered is I was working with, um, you know, like C-suites and senior executives, people who I, the roles that I had been in and served in. And mostly what was showing up for my clients was um, this myth, these lies that they are sort of believing in about themselves. And I will use the term lies very specifically, like you're not courageous. You need more confidence. Well, you don't, you need more confidence. There's this confidence myth in corporate America that wears me out. You need more confidence. And I thought, well, that's, that can't be right because you're a CEO or you're running a business. It's not confidence. Um, what you need is courage. Ooh to do what you're called to do and more specifically courage to not do what you are being called to stop doing. So when I was in corporate America, we used to do this um, exercise all the time with my teams called start, stop, continue. And I brought that to my clients. And so the work shifted as my clients started to respond to, um, I mean, just me, I think, you know, like how I'm showing up, they wanted to talk about things that were a little, a little less about how do I make my numbers, which most people show up like, I need to make my numbers. I'm like, I know you do. But here's the thing. You're going to make your number when you realize that your life is more valuable than making a number. We've got to get that system out of your system. Mm. And um, so my work has shifted in um, into something I love more. So this is all, it's always a discovery, Paul, of um, more authenticity. I don't think there's ever a, um, an end to this work even for yourself, of course. I can't take a client any deeper than I've ever been willing to go or have gone. For sure. And so today I, I work with leaders and entrepreneurs and I like to think of my clients as people who are spiritually curious and who have read all, so you've read all the leadership books mm. and you've taken all the online courses. Check that box. You've, you you know, you've done all the things you're supposed to do and none of it's quite getting you there. And you know, fundamentally that there's something more for you, something more true, something more, quite frankly, more sexy, more powerful, more exciting, and you want it. Um, but the corporate path or the business path that you've been on didn't have these milestones on your map. 
So my job is to guide you to your true map. Mm. It's inside of you. Um, so the conversations have shifted pretty significantly. Um, the truth is, it's very difficult to get to where, to get to true authenticity. So the path that I walk my clients through is awakening to your divinity, then freedom, then sovereignty. Mm. And it's, it's difficult to do that or walk that path without a guide. Otherwise you would have done it. I mean, I've needed guides my whole my whole career. So the recovery time was about finding the right guides and getting over what I call the guru fetish, which is, <laughs> I had a massive guru fetish um, in that, you know, I was looking for my Yoda You are easily the most quoted guest I've ever had. Like, like it's just, I just look at all these. These are all my notes from you. This is crazy. All right. Continue on Yoda. Well, I mean, I really, yeah. So the, yeah, that's beautiful because what you discover is you are your own Yoda. And isn't that what Yoda was trying to teach? Yes. Um, and so. Try not do. Yeah. I can't do the Yoda voice. I'm really- <laughs> well, not with that attitude, you can't. Oh my God, that's what, exactly what I would say to my child. You <laughs> <laughs> can't. Okay. Well, yeah. so what's the, the guru fetish? What is it? Yeah, so I had this, you know, just this, even though I had come out of a very, you know, wildly successful corporate career, during my recovery, I still thought, well, I need, I need someone to help me figure out what's next for me. Like, how do I do this? And it's, you know, looking back, it's the most hilarious thing. How do I become more spiritual? How do I become fully divine and fully human, which I could feel in my body and my bones, um, you know, sort of chortling in my blood that that's what I I wanted more than anything. Um, And of course, no one can teach you that. It's inside of you. But you do need guides to sort of point you. It's like if you are hiking and um, you want, you want a, you know, a guide who knows, Hey, if you step off here, you might fall off a cliff. You can get off the trail here and explore. um, But don't go this way because there's massive poison ivy over here or whatever it is. Um, And so, you know, just defining for myself again, who do I want to be? How do I want to show up as, as a entrepreneur now, as a leader of my own company, as, as, as freedom? You know, my highest value has always been freedom. And now my life's mission is to become freedom, to become sovereignty, which is a different orientation to the value. So instead of, um, you know, holding the value outside of myself, which kept me my guru fetish, someone knows, someone outside of me knows, now the value is me. The message is me. I am freedom. I am sovereignty. 
It's a different way of showing up in the world. You got that system out your system. Well, I'm working on it. You know, <laughs> you, and that's, I mean, but that is the path, right? Withdrawing consent. And, you know, this is a really good time to talk about this um, without apology. We're, it, you know, the world is in a place where we are examining all systems, right? The patriarchy is up for review. Um, systemic racism is up for review and dismantling. And I've just started to create a whole new program literally to get this energy of enslavement out of our bodies, out of our minds, out of our spirits. Because, listen, this is 400 years in the making. Mm. And that means epigenetically, it is in your lineage. I love all of the, most, not all, a lot of the conversations that are being had in social media, you know, like people are showing up as allies and co-conspirators. And I think that's massively important. So important because that's how we're going to get it done because separation is an illusion. I am you, you are me. Um, And we've got to get past this place where I think, you know, like we won't, we won't solve it here or even get to all of it. But this whole idea of equality, I take a little bit of umbrage with because who am I being measured against? I'm equal to who? Well, if I'm divine, there's no, it's kind of a, it's, it's a whole different way of thinking about um, systemic racism and how to solve to it. Um, well, and what's interesting idea. about that, Kimberly, sorry to interrupt. What's interesting no, about that is the individuals that I found that have the deepest conversations about society, whatever's going on, whether it's a systemic racism or the political landscape or your faith, um, you know, there's so much hate right now, but to wear a mask or not to wear a mask. Like, I feel like those that have the most uh, deep and intellectual conversations that are open uh, to dialogue are those that are really in tune with spirituality and uh, their journey of self-awareness and perception and listening to understand versus listening to respond, right? Which I know that you and your career as of I has been just a constant battle um, in just about everything that we do. So talk to me real quick about You've mentioned your personal development, your growth. Obviously, you've always been an individual individual that gravitated towards your opportunity gaps and worked your best to close them uh, through educate, education. Now it's books, right? Uh, before it was educating yourself on new shoe styles. But uh, how do you find the right coach? Because what I'm finding, Kimberly, is the more I'm putting myself out there, the more people are reaching out to me and saying, hey, uh, do you have a social media coach? Hey, do you have a leadership coach? Hey, do you have a speaking coach? Hey, do you? And then they never ask any questions about me uh, and they always get into their sales pitch first. And I don't know if it's, they think that they have limited time or whatever it may be. How do you, how did you, and now that you're working with clients, how do you identify the right coach? Hmm. Yeah, so I've I've screwed this up before. So um, <laughs> we all. 
Oh man. Um, so today how I do it, it, you know, I think it's like, it's like any other relationship, you know, you have to realize what you're investing. So one, it goes back to understanding that you are already valuable. I look for a coach who is not, I, I don't believe that anyone needs to be fixed. So for me, I'm looking for a guide or a coach who, to your earlier point, has the expertise in the energetic and the vibrational alignment with me who can, you know, fill the gap. I also, you know, I wouldn't buy a pair of shoes without trying them on. I'm not going to work with a guide or a coach who hasn't walked the path. Thank you. That's yeah, that's different than saying, you know, how some people are like, well, I'm a corporate coach and how can I coach a CEO or, you know, a, you know, like a, a chairman of the board or whatever, if I've never done that. That's all totally different perspective. I'm talking about someone who has done the work. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to do the work with you, I expect that you have also done your work. Um, and then this is not my phrase. I think it's Steve Chandler's is a coach in, in, in the world that you and I, um, live in. And I think he said this needy is creepy. So like what you just described, people are like, Hey, do you need la la la? No, I don't. No. (laughs) Um, because it comes off as like that, you know, like just energetically, I check in energetically with anyone I'm going to work with. Yes. I love your phrase because uh, this is something that means a lot to me, uh, vibrational alignment. Like that is something that just sticks out like a sore thumb to me in conversation. If somebody, if I'm walking by and I hear somebody say vibrational alignment, I'm like, oh damn, what y'all talking about? Like, <laughs> uh, because it means a lot to me. And I feel like uh, energy is obviously a very real thing and uh, energy begets energy. And you know, if, if you want to feel great, typically it helps to find some folks that emit some form of enthusiasm or energy or goodness. And as a result of byproduct, maybe it's through the power of osmosis or whatever, maybe you start to feel good, right? So I love this vibrational alignment concept. And uh, one additional thing that I would add to, you know, your identification of the right coach. So first of all, let's, let's, First of all, let's align. Let's let's talk a little bit. What are your values? I like to get really deep. Like, what's your process? I had an individual uh, recently that wanted to pitch me on being an exclusive management uh, company for for me as a speaker, and uh, I, I go into it. And this is not great, Kimberly. You know that this is not. If you were my coach, you'd be coaching me on this now because it's a self fulfilling prophecy. But I went into it not really understanding the value that a management company serves, right? Uh, in my experience, when I ask the questions, uh, I, m- my success in every path is different, has really been, at least in the speaking realm, has really been um, expressing a genuine interest and in connecting vibrationally to speakers bureaus and speakers bureaus representatives, like at a deep level. Like, I don't care if you book me, I just want you to know, Kimberly, that I respect what you do and I can't wait to get to know you better. Like, I'm not even asking you for work. 
And I know folks now in the bureaus that have been there for two years that we've had a relationship with and they've never booked me and I don't give a damn. Like I still reach out and I send them gift cards and I say, hey, how's it going? And I love you when I get off the phone. But all of that to say that I had this management firm reach out to me and the vibration was off. Like it felt, it felt grimy. And so I, I asked her, what's your value proposition? Like, what do you do with speakers? And Kimberly, I'll tell you that if I, as a speaker, went to a client and tried to express my value prop the way that she was as a management firm, I, as the client, would say, uh, we're going to go look elsewhere. So, so dig deep, right? What's your process in, in coaching, right? What, what value do you place on self-discovery? What's your value proposition? And what you said, not have you been a CEO, but what have you done? Like, talk, talk to me about the work that you've put in in growing your business. I love those questions. Yeah, yeah. I think experience, like really aligning your experiences with the right guide or coach is important, right? I think it's important for the client to know at some level what they want to learn but it's also important to remember that at this level of coaching why you come is not really why you come why you think you come to coaching is not generally why you fundamentally like deeply spiritually come to coaching um and because i love and adore you i'm going to push back a little bit on this process piece because when people like there's several ways to work with me and like the, the entry, the awakening phase certainly has like a clear process. Um, but when you, and though, when you come and work with me at the highest level, if you ask me the process, I say, mm, you, you're probably not ready because the process really is designed around you. You are the process. Mm, but so you're, you're pushing back and I want all of this. But what you yeah. just defined was a process. <laughs> okay. Here's, uh, here's, if you were to respond with this question, if I were to say, Kimberly, I'm really excited about the prospect of working with the coach. I have some reservations. Talk to me about your process. And you were to say, Paul, I would like to really get into my process, but my process is you. Uh, you're going to go through an awakening. And that means that I'm going to ask you a series of questions for you to identify who you are and why you're in front of me. And with that, our path is going to be revealed. I'd be like, well, go ahead, then. Let's go. <laughs> All right, then. You see what I'm saying, though? Like, that's like... I'm going to start letting you write my copy. <laughs> Here is, and, and many of you as Fundamism Podcast listeners have heard this before, and I know that you subscribe to, I don't know if you put the same level of priority on it, but based on what you've said to me, Kimberly, I believe you do. The most valuable leadership attribute that I believe that we all have in our tool belt is the ability to create moments of self-discovery. Not telling people facts, not telling people opinions, not telling people what we need them to do, but rather asking them really thought-provoking questions that get them to seek those answers inside themselves to where they want to do it, not because you told them to, but because they understand and feel the value in it of themselves. Yeah, you better preach that. Yeah, I think that's right. People have to, nobody wants to be told what to do. Um, at a fundamental level. Um, and people want to trust 
the person that they're investing their time and energy. And energy is emotional, spiritual, mental, and financial. It's a big investment if you're going to work with a coach or a guide. Um, And I think those of us who are in this industry who operate like you and I do, we take it very seriously. I appreciate that when someone comes to work with me, they, they come very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. You know, like it is a, it is an honor to work with people at this level and you have to respect that. And, um, you know, for me, like coaching, like there are lots of things in my medicine bag. So when, when we work together, if you're like, I'm all in, woo, I'd be like, okay, now go sleep on it. Because when you say that, when you come back tomorrow, um, because it's not, it's not a, a lot of talk-based coaching. There's a fair amount of that, but, but my work is highly experiential. Mm. I want you in your body. I want move. We've got to move the, the energy, the trauma, all that ancestral wounding that's in your, that you brought all that luggage that you've been carrying. That's got to go so that you can be free. Otherwise you're still enslaved to things that are not serving you. And that's not serving the planet. It's not serving your family. It's not serving, you know, you're both the descendant and the ancestors. So we've got to get all of that out of your system so that you can do what you came to do. Well, Kimberly, what you came to do is just destroy my belief systems. (laughs) Have an absolutely fun uh, and amazing time as an insightful Fundamism podcast guest. Again, easily the most quoted Fundamism podcast guest of all time. Um, I want to be explicitly clear because uh, what Kimberly just created was an environment for me to be coached. And she specifically said, I'm doing so because I respect you uh, and I adore you. And here it is. I love that. First of all, I love that you set the stage. Uh, I love that you feel comfortable enough doing that with me. What I hope that our listeners and, w- and what I hope that you didn't do is feel some form of pushback because I uh, am not willing to be vulnerable. I freaking love that, Kimberly. And I need more of that in my life because you know we walk through life right now with everybody on eggshells and concerned about what everybody's thinking. And truth be told, I get tired of people saying, I love your content. I love what you're doing. I love your energy. Like, I want somebody to say, step your game up, man. Like, you're missing the boat here. And so, first of all, I need more of you in my life. Uh, second of all, if you come to me, though, and you say you're going to challenge me, then you, you best have your facts right because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back and we're going to work on this together. <laughs> oh, I got you. Don't you worry about it. Kimberly, if anybody listening to the Fundamism podcast wants to learn more about you uh, or your coaching processes or lack thereof, and specifically self-discovery, how do we we find you? Yeah, thanks. You can find me on LinkedIn as Kimberly A. Firewalker, and you can also find me on Facebook as uh, Kimberly that wildfire life and on Instagram as that wildfire life. Mm. All right. Any words of wisdom, parting words that you just have to get off your chest about shoes, leadership, love. Ooh, Lord, that's a lot. Um, you know, what I'll say is 
that you, I want to go back really quickly to this idea of worthiness. You don't, it's not something you can earn. You don't need to earn it. I will, if I could relieve your listeners of one burden that I know they've been carrying is this idea that they need to um, do something to be loved. There's nothing you can do to make me love you. And there's nothing you can do to make me not love you. You are just loved because that's, that's the divine way of being. Mm. And I wish everyone knew that love, love is my rebellion, Paul. Man. So a couple of takeaways that I have from what you said worth, obviously taking me back to the Stuart Smalley conversation. You know, I go, I go into every day, uh, looking in the mirror, uh, metaphorically saying, uh, I'm going to kill this show today because I'm good enough. I'm smart enough and doggone it. People like me. Uh, but I'm just joking. Recognizing your worth is super important and loving yourself because if you're looking externally for love to show up or to find value or to be appreciated, you're going to be searching for a lifetime. So it first starts with you. The second thing, the big takeaway that I want everybody to have from what Kimberly said is um, specifically her question, do you feel proud of how you're operating? Do you feel proud of how you're operating? As you're analyzing your success, as you're tracking your performance metrics, as you're trying to maximize SEO, as you're uh, identifying how you're showing up, I love this question is, do you feel proud of how you're operating? And taking it one step further, why do you feel that way? I would say that right now in this moment, Kimberly A. Firewalker has convinced me that I need a stronger coach in my life. And maybe, just maybe, I'll be reaching out to her as an extension of this conversation. From the bottom of my heart, I want to say thank you, Kimberly, for being on the Fundamism Podcast. Yeah, thank you. It was an honor. It's always good to hang out with you, Paul. Well, in closing, to you, the Fundamism Podcast listener, thank you very much for your support. Uh, If you're listening in, that means that you value fun, introspection, and potentially continued self-development. As such, maybe reach out to Kimberly, maybe grab the Fundamism Connecting to Life Through Fun book that just went live on Audible uh, for potentially identifying ways to create more fun in your life. Now, don't get it twisted. When I say fun, I'm not just talking about, and Kimberly started this whole set, oh, well, I'm not that fun. This is really making me think. Guys, I'm not here to convince you to be my fun. I'm here to help you reveal more of what you define as fun. So go out today, have some fun, create some fun in the lives of others. And until next time, deuces!